Thank you for tuning in to the Voice of the Victim podcast. We discuss a lot of sad and potentially triggering things on this show. We try to be as sensitive and cautious as possible, but if you are sensitive to things involving abuse and may be triggered, please think twice before listening to our show. There are over 700,000 sexual offenders in the United States alone. With all the social media these days, how can we protect ourselves and our children from these despicable predators? Welcome to the Voice of the Victim podcast, where we discuss criminal cases that involve some factor of abuse. Our goal is to spread awareness of abuse that could be taking place around any of us and encourage everyone to take responsibility and report if they see a child or an adult being abused. It was November 4th, 2015, around 5 p.m. 12-year-old T.L.E. Palmer had been missing for six days. The police had finally released her identity to the public, hoping it would help them find her. Later that day, some fishermen were making their way around the Pimpama River in Gold Coast, Queensland, Australia. It was unseasonably hot in November of 2015, being the last month of spring in Australia. As the fishermen floated down the river, they spotted something unusual in the water. At first, they weren't sure what it was, but it looked very odd. As they made their way closer, they realized it was a body. Welcome to the Voice of the Victim podcast. I'm Rosie. And I'm Ryan. And first, before we get started, we want to thank our two new patrons, Skylar and Amber. Thank you so much, Skylar and Amber. Every time we say the word Skylar, we think of Breaking Bad because we just finished the series. <laughs> so thank you very much, Skylar. And thank you very much, Amber. We are so excited that you guys are our new patrons. Yes. So we've been talking about covering an Australian case for a while, but we couldn't really decide on one. But we were made aware of this case that we're covering today by... A guy named Michael on Twitter. So thank you, Michael. Cambo from True Crime Island has actually covered this before, so you may be familiar with it. So what are we talking about tonight, Rosie? So today we're going to talk about Tia Lee Palmer, and this is an Australian case. Yes. So Tia Lee Alyssa Rose Palmer was the daughter of Cindy Palmer. It's unclear exactly what Tia Lee's birth date was, but it was sometime in 2002 to 2003. Cindy was only 18 at the time when Tia was born, so her family helped out a lot to care for Tia. Cindy Palmer, her mother, placed her into foster care when she was seven years old to try to protect her from a domestic violence situation. Yeah, Um, it wasn't very specific on what the situation was, but it really seemed like Cindy just wanted to protect her daughter and keep her safe from some factor in her life that she really couldn't get away from at the time. Cindy actually was fearful that she was going to die and leave behind this little girl to take care of herself. Yeah. Um, I think Cindy was in some way involved with drugs. It's hard to find any information about what it was specifically, like I said, but... Once she surrendered to Ely, her drug problem kind of spiraled out of control for a while because mm. she was having a rough time being separated from her daughter. So Cindy was in and out of jail a few times after this. And some sources said that she had to surrender Tia because she got in trouble with the law. 
So, I mean, we can't say for sure exactly what was happening, but either way, it was um, for the best that Tia was placed in foster care to hopefully find a family that would care for her in a safe environment. <sighs> that That is very... That's so sad that she knew she had to give up her daughter to foster care, but also it's she knew she was doing the right thing at the same time. So Yeah, she really believed that this was what was best for her daughter. So mm-hmm. Well Tia Lee was in it was in and out of foster homes, but eventually they found a nice foster mother for her named Julie Pemberton. She spent almost three happy years with Julie. Yeah, it's kinda sweet. Tia Lee was a bit of a spitfire like you, Rosie. But Me? A spitfire? <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> she seemed to speak her mind um, the way Julie described her. She would sometimes offend people, but she was just a kid. Oh, so now I'm just offensive to people? No. Okay. <laughs> sometimes. <laughs> when she first arrived at Julie's house, she told her about how quickly she was able to get rid of her carers. <laughs> like... Tia was bragging about it, uh-huh. but, but things seemed to stick once she moved in with Julie, at least for a while. Julie described Tia as a wild horse with a lovely spirit that you could tame but never break. She said that before settling with Julie, she'd had a very messed up life, bouncing around through the foster care system. That's a nice way to describe someone. Yeah, I think that's really cool. That's a wild horse that you can tame. But you can't break. Yep. I think that's beautiful, actually. Yeah. It reminds me of the movie Spirit. Oh, I forgot about that movie. Mm, Off topic, but relatable. Mm -hmm. Cindy always maintained a relationship with her daughter, and the two loved each other very much. Cindy planned to turn her life around and get Tia back very soon. In 2015, when Tia was 12, Julie wasn't able to keep acting as a foster carer, and they found Tia a new home with the very well-respected family in Logan City. Her new family, called the Thorburns, were very well off. They had a beautiful lawn and horses in their yard. Is it Julene? Yeah. yeah. Julene and Rick Thorburn each ran a business, Miss Julene's Family Daycare, and a food truck company called Nothing Healthy Here, <laughs> which, <laughs> which was an American food-based food truck. How funny That's is that? really funny. Yeah. Actually, it sounds like a really tasty food truck to me. Remind me to tell our listeners my idea for our food truck after the episode. Okay. After we talk about our cats? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And so Tia's, this is a whole new experience for her because she grew up with a mom that struggled with drugs and then she was bouncing around. Well, she didn't really grow up with her mom, but then she bounced around through foster care. And I don't think that uh, Pemberton was very well off. It's hard to say, but... This is like a whole new world for her. And because they seem to be really successful people holding it all together well. Yeah. Mm hmm. Well, Tia began attending the Logan Marston State High School and was a pretty popular student with a sunny and bright personality. Tia would also have two older brothers, Trent, who was 18, and Josh, who was 19. Both of the boys were dancers. Josh had been recovering from an injury and working for his mom's daycare. Trent was a metal... A metal. <laughs> I know. No, it's going to be metal. That's a, yeah. 
I meant to say that Trent was a metal fabrication apprentice and a classic car builder. What is a metal fabrication apprentice? Um, I would guess someone who works with metal and like welds and creates things from metal. So nothing to do with fabric. No, when you're fabricating things, <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's like... You're putting something together? Yeah. Okay. What uh, kind of dancers were they? That's what? a good question. I'm just wondering if it's like... I think it's like ballet. Oh, it's not like Backstreet Boy. <laughs> I don't know. Type. Um, But so everything's sounding kind of great here, right? T. Lee has finally found a stable home that will be able to take care of her until her mom's back on her feet and able to give her a safe home. So Yeah. Yeah, it seems like a good family. So to any onlooker, things seemed great for Tia and the Thorburns. But on October 30th, 2015, Tia was dropped off at school by her foster father, Rick, around 8.10 in the morning. Rick saw her meet up with a boy as she walked into the school. It seemed like any normal day for the girl. But later on that day, a school counselor called the Thorburns to let them know that Tia hadn't been in class that day. This would have to be a bit scary for the parents. I wouldn't want to get that call if my child wasn't where they where I thought they were, especially after I had dropped them off that day. It's got to be a sinking feeling of anxiety when you get that call. Yeah. I wouldn't want my parents to get that call. Tia never came home from school that day, and they reported her missing. Six days passed with no sign of Tia. The search was frantic at this point. If it's been that long, you know it can't be good. On November 4th, 2015, the Queensland police were desperate for help to find the missing girl, so they released it to the public. The press release had a picture of the girl and said, Missing Logan girl, 12, last seen a week ago. She is described as Pacific Islander in appearance. What does that mean? Like Hawaiian? Oh, okay. I guess I've just never heard that phrase before. Pacific Islander. That makes sense, though. Um, 170 centimeters tall with a slight build, brown hair and brown eyes. She was last seen wearing a white short sleeve shirt with maroon and blue pinstripes, a blue knee-length skirt, white socks, and black school shoes. So things weren't looking too good for her and her family. The same day of this press release at 5 p.m., some fishermen were out on the Pimpama River on the Gold Coast. About 40 meters north of the Kirken Road Bridge, they saw something strange floating in the water. So now's the time to brace yourselves, because from this point on, the rest of the episode will be disgusting and heartbreaking. As they approached, they realized they had found a partially decomposed body. They called the police. The body was difficult to identify, but it turned out to be the body of the 12-year-old girl, Tia Lee Alyssa Rose Palmer. She was mostly naked, only wearing underwear bottoms. Police said it wasn't yet determined if they were dealing with a suicide, an accident, or a homicide. They asked for anyone who was in the area near Kirken Road to please call if they'd seen anything suspicious. So, this is the awful, sad fate of this poor little girl. Only 12 years old and her life was already over. Cases like these where there is no survivor are so important to cover. Because um, in the future and in the past, we've, uh, we'll have we be talking about many people 
that did survive and were able to write a book and tell their own story and we can get all the details from that and don't take this as me minimizing their experiences but this poor little girl Tia is never able to tell her own story so for me it's important that someone does. Since the last place that she was seen was at school, the police called out to the public for help finding her school uniform and backpack in the area. They didn't believe her body had washed down the river, but had been dumped pretty much where it was discovered. The police interviewed 70 students from Tia's school, and over 200 reports had been made to Crime Stoppers. On November 8th, over 300 people gathered at, gathered at a park near Tia's school to hold a candlelight vigil. They left flowers and toys at the gate of the school in her memory. So what a heartbreaking and confusing event. No one had any idea what actually happened to this little girl. And to make things worse, two days later, the police announced that they'd hit a wall in their investigation and may never really know what happened to Tia. Hmm. So, not only had Cindy Palmer and the Thorburns lost their daughter, but doesn't sound like they're ever going to get closure. I feel like they could probably rule out the suicide thing, because why would all of her clothes be off? I don't think that people who are about to commit suicide usually... Well, they did. They, they did rule out the suicide. They did. The police did not give up after this, though. They kept the investigation going strong, they asked for anyone with dash cam footage to please share it with them. They also stopped motorists in the area where Tia was found to ask questions about anything that may help. On November 14, 2015, an official funeral was held for Tia, and hundreds of people showed up. Mourners wore purple t-shirts with a white heart and Tia's name. Yeah, purple had been Tia's favorite color, and you can see pictures of the shirts in this funeral if if you just Google Tia Lee Palmer funeral. Mm -hmm. Tia's foster father, Rick, helped carry her coffin while wearing the purple shirt in memory of her. He yeah. seemed to be very distraught. And of course he would be. I mean, this is a tragedy for their family. Yeah, it, the hardship of holding your daughter's coffin. Yeah. Although he's not the real father, he's still... He yeah. loved her, right? Mm -hmm. They placed hundreds of white roses on her coffin and released purple balloons as the hearse drove away for a private cremation. It sounds like a really nice funeral, at least, to honor this girl's life. It sounds terribly sad. Well, I yeah. can't imagine oh, how sad that everybody must have been. Yeah, just the not knowing would be so difficult. The investigation continued after the funeral. And on December 4th, one of Tia's shoes was actually discovered 100 meters from where she was found. This reignited the effort to search the area. The Queensland government even offered a $250,000 reward to anyone who provided information leading to the arrest and conviction of the monster that did this to Tia Lee. Mm -hmm. Months passed with no more information, and it began to feel hopeless. Tia's birth mother, Cindy Palmer, reached out in March of 2016. The last four months had been terrible for her, but she was making it through. She was pleading for anyone with information to come forward. Yeah, she actually said that she didn't want any other family to have to go through what they had done, what they had gone through. Um, 
Teely's killer had not been caught and was still out there somewhere ready to strike again. And Cindy, I mean, she her main motivation seemed to be wanting to prevent that, you know? Mm-hmm. Like she, she had other people in mind besides herself. She said, someone out there knows something about what happened to Tia. And it takes a vile human to be able to take an innocent 12-year-old's life. I can't imagine the heartbreak that Cindy had been dealing with over these four months. Tia's whole life, Cindy had been trying to protect her from danger. And this was the whole reason she'd placed her in foster care. But somehow Tia still wasn't safe. Law enforcement followed this up by saying, The people responsible should never feel at ease. We are not giving in. We have a team of detectives dedicated to finding out what happened. This is so great to see. Yeah. I mean, their manpower was going into something truly important, and you can't help but appreciate and respect that. Yeah, they're taking it so seriously. It is kind of refreshing. Yeah. Go Australia. <laughs> <laughs> so some stuff ended up coming out that kind of explained a little bit of what was going on with Tia before she had disappeared. So you want to get into that, Rosie? Sure. Tia had actually tried running away from the Thorburns' home 10 times within the first 10 months of her staying there. She was typically found within a few hours and returned home. But this last time, she'd never returned. She told Julie Pemberton, her first foster mother, that she hated living at the Thorburn home, but didn't elaborate on the reason for her misery. But she said she didn't want to move out because she had a crush on Trent, her 18-year-old foster brother. Yeah, Trent was a handsome blonde kid who was somewhat obsessed with taking selfies. But remember, he's not really a kid anymore. He's 18. Trent began taking advantage of his 12-year-old foster sister. They secretly had sex whenever they got the chance. Not good. Hmm. Yeah. So, of course, when this ended up coming out, Trent tried to blame it all on Tia because she had a crush on him. He had actually told his cousin about the whole thing through Facebook messages. Oh, dumb. (laughs) Yeah. Well, thankfully, he was really dumb. Yeah, right. He told his cousin that Tia threatened to kill his dog if he didn't have sex with her. Oh, man. Okay. But one of Tia's close friends from school told investigators that according to Tia, Trent was the one forcing her to have sex. And she had talked to her foster mom, Julian Thorburn, about the abuse. But she didn't do much to help her. (sighs) Okay. Even if the thing about the dog is true, he has a responsibility as an adult to do what's right for the child in the situation. And I don't believe for a second that she would have killed his dog. I don't believe that either. I don't think many 12-year-old girls would ever want to kill a dog. Yeah, except maybe Jasmine Richardson. (laughs) Right. But she could... Never mind. Uh, We mentioned earlier how she had a bright, sunny personality, and I obviously don't know anything about mental health besides what you can look up on Google, but I've lived with an individual who had suffered sexual abuse as a child, and it was never addressed until much later in her life, and the person was never held responsible for it. 
She'd always be smiling and energetic on the outside, and she always had jobs that involved taking care of other people and really seemed to love people. But she also had a very dark side because she was dealing with this trauma on the inside, and along with other issues like alcoholism and suicidal attempts. I guess this is a really long way of saying that people can appear to be extraordinarily bright and outgoing, but on the inside be broken, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, you would have the experience with knowing that. Yeah. Trent had told his cousin that he was worried he had gotten Tia pregnant and didn't know what to do. Then he ended the Facebook conversation by saying that he was going to tell his parents that night. He told his mother, Julene that he thought he may have gotten Tia pregnant. Yeah, and Julene was understandably distraught when she heard this news. Um, she's a 12-year-old girl, and her son was having sex with her. And to that's bad enough on its own, but if she's pregnant... Yeah. Then, but the way she handled it is appalling. Julene did not want to lose her comfortable lifestyle. She was concerned about what would happen to her family if word of this scandalous relationship between her son and the child got out. She confided in her husband, Rick, about the situation, and he told her that he would take care of it. So, now it's time to talk about what really happened to Tia when she went missing. On the night of October 29th, 2015, Julene had been out of the house, and the boys were at their dance class. Rick was home with Tia. When Julene and the boys finally arrived at home, Rick told the rest of the family, Tia is no longer with us. I hope you know what that means. So that's a really creepy and vague explanation of what happened to Tia. That's very vague and creepy, as you said. Those are exactly <laughs> the words I used. Rick refused to give the rest of the family any details on what he had done to Tia, but he warned them not to go into Tia's bedroom. Well, that just makes you want to go into the bedroom. Yeah. Then he told them they should get out of the house the next evening as well, so he could finish the job and hide what he'd done. Basically, he still needed to hide the body of the young girl. He's being vague and creep, like so creepy. But not vague enough for us not to know what's going on. Yeah. Yikes. He took her life away by smothering her to death. So can you imagine what Tia's last moments must have been like for her? Maybe similar emotions to what Jasmine Richardson's father must have been feeling. Like, how could this person that's supposed to love me want me to be dead? It's hard to believe that he could do this to his 12-year-old foster daughter. He was someone with a good reputation in the community, but apparently that reputation was much more important than the safety or morality of his family. After keeping Tia in the shed for a day, he put her body into his car and drove her to the river where she'd later be discovered. Such a lack of respect for Tia and her life. How could anyone ever justify such an extreme reaction to a 12-year-old girl maybe being pregnant? After your piece of crap son abused her and put her in that situation to begin with. Right, they don't even know for sure if Tia was pregnant. Yeah, and like, how do you justify, like, I get it if they feel like this is really immoral and maybe they felt mad at Tia because the son made it sound like she seduced him or something. 
But how is killing someone, how can you justify that as a response to something you perceive as immoral or, you know? Well, such blame is placed on the wrong person because T is a child. Well, yeah, absolutely. Even though Trent seems super dumb, he's an adult. Mm-hmm. Wow. So the investigation continued on after warning the public that they would not be giving up on this case. They did their best to vet the Thorburn family, and everyone checked out except for Rick. They found some closed circuit video footage on the front of the school the day Tia went missing, and although they saw Rick drive by, there was no evidence of him even stopping. There was no way he actually dropped off Tia at school that day. Hmm. The police secretly bugged the Thorburn house. They recorded many conversations between the family discussing how they were going to keep their, quote, secret. They also discussed what to do or say if any investigators were able to crack certain aspects of the crime. Yeah, and that would sound pretty suspicious on those tapes. The tapes also revealed, as the police suspected, that Rick never actually dropped Tia off at school on October 30th, but that he had to take care of her the night before. Hmm. They also heard Julene and Josh discussing how they'd protect themselves if Rick and Trent ever got busted for what they had done. I don't know how they could talk their way around these conversations and make them not sound incriminating. So after hearing these conversations, uh, detectives knew that they had to put the pressure on these two and that might be able to help them break the case open. They were able to get Josh and Julene to become witnesses against Rick and Josh. That was my bad, Rick and Trent. (laughs) Yeah. The two of them filled in the details for the police. Finally, they were able to arrest the monster that took this young girl's life and then covered it up for nearly a year. On September 20th, 2016, the police swarmed the Chambers flat home south of Brisbane and charged Rick with the murder of Tia Lee Palmer. I'm just wondering, question to our Australian listeners, is it Brisbane or Brisbane? You know how like like Melbourne, people say Melbourne, but it's actually Melbourne? Mm-hmm. Huh. So Australian listeners, I mean, we always love getting help with pronunciation. Unfortunately, we ask for it too late. <laughs> After Rick was arrested, he somehow got his hands on a bunch of pills and tried to overdose and kill himself. He was put into a medically induced coma for several days and missed his first court appearance. But his attempt was unsuccessful. Yeah, so thank goodness it was unsuccessful. He was apparently trying to take the easy way out to avoid the embarrassment and pain of a trial and prison. But he belongs there. This was ridiculous. Yeah, really. They also arrested Trent, who completely denied any knowledge of what had happened to Tia. But he was charged with incest, perverting the course of justice, and two counts of perjury. What? But it wasn't incest. Because they were... Well, that's... We'll address that later. Oh, okay. So... I gotta be honest, I'm not the most informed person when it comes to legal jargon, so I had to look up perjury, and even though I've heard the term a hundred times, 
is basically lying in court while under oath. So if there's anyone that wasn't sure exactly what it was, like me, there you go. But yeah, it seems like during the trial, Trent hadn't been super forthcoming and continued to try to lie about what he knew. And like you brought up, (laughs) another thing that might have stuck out to you is how he was charged with incest, even though he had no blood relation to Tia. Like, typically when we think of incest, we think of a sexual relationship between siblings or a parent and child. But apparently the definition of incest is different through, like, from jurisdiction to jurisdiction. And in Australia, it can be a little more broad. So this mm-hmm. must have been in one of those areas where they were able to charge him with it just for being step-siblings. Living in the same home. Yeah. I'm surprised that, that it wasn't, uh, like pedophilia or instead of incest or something, but I don't know how the laws work. Trent was sentenced to four years in jail. But this is kind of disappointing because although he was sentenced to four years, he only served 16 months. Mm. Well, Trent was released in January of 2018. Rick Thorburn was charged with murder, interfering with a corpse, perverting the course of justice, and also two counts of perjury. Julene and Joshua also got one count each of perjury and perverting the course of justice. So even though they were witnesses in the case, they didn't get away with the cover-up. And that had to be a really tough situation for Josh, the brother. Like Mm -hmm. He was 19 at the time, still pretty dependent on his family, And thanks to the stupid decisions of his brother and the even stupider decision of his father, he had to sit on this terrible secret, knowing that he would lose both of them if he told it. Mm -hmm. It had to be a really difficult moral dilemma for him, and sadly, he made the wrong decision. This little girl's justice should have outweighed the family loyalty. Rick took her life away for no reason. Julene and the kids are all out of jail. But in May of 2018, Rick decided to skip the trial and plead guilty. He was sentenced to life in jail. I have a question um, for Australian listeners. Do they call prison jail over there? It said he was sentenced to life in jail. Yeah. The court justice spoke during his sentencing, telling him, Your offending involves truly appalling conduct. You showed no respect for her, even in death. You murdered this defenseless child who relied on you for protection. Those are some powerful words. I just cannot wrap my head around how this ever sounded like a good plan in Rick's head. How could he have ever thought of this idea and given it any time to mull it over in his head without saying, oh, that's ridiculous, or I can't do that. Instead, he put his family's reputation first, which... Really backfired. In September of 2036, he'll be eligible for parole. Anyway, um, let's hope that he doesn't ever get the parole. This is one of the worst murders I can think of. Like, just so pointless and unprovoked. Yeah. Tia's mother, Cindy, was in the courtroom for the sentencing. And though she was glad to take another step towards justice for Tia Lee, she stated that no sentence will ever be enough. Yeah, and I think that's such an important thing to remember. No punishment can ever properly compensate for the victim of a murder. 
nothing the justice system can do will ever bring Tia Lee back to her mother. Mm-hmm. So I was reading some comments online about this case, and so many of them were saying how this girl should have never been put in a house with two teenage boys. But when you focus on that detail, the more serious crime that the father committed gets swept swept under the rug. I mean, yes, of course, the sex between an 18-year-old and a 12-year-old was terrible. And I'm not trying to minimize that at all. But the reaction of these narcissistic parents is what really makes this a terribly devastating case. This man didn't resort to murder because he had a 12-year-old girl in the house with two teenage boys. Even if they weren't there, the man that was ultimately her murderer was still in the house. This is just a man who really should not have been a foster parent. Things couldn't have been that great for Tia if she tried running away ten times. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just devastating to think about that. Yeah, I was just thinking that in my head, like, what else was going on? If uh-huh. she, I mean, she told her other foster mom about how much she hated it there. So, like, was yeah. there other abuse from the father or the mother? or? Well, even just... Uh, her relationship with Trent, I think, was mm-hmm. kind of romanticized from Trent's point of view. But yeah, what she, was it on her? Yeah, side? it could have been really bothering her. That's a really good point, Ryan. And she was holding that pain inside. Mm-hmm. Well, Tia Lee's case did affect some protocols when it comes to handling situations of missing children. The Queensland cabinet put a new protocol into place making schools responsible for same-day notification to parents or guardians when a child has an unplanned absence. This is a good rule to have, but um, it may not have helped in Tia's case because they did notify them the same day, but, I mean, these parents were total scumbags to begin with, so it wouldn't have made a difference. But... It's good that the parents would be aware as soon as possible if their child isn't where they're supposed to be. Also, the reason TLA's identity wasn't released to the public until six days later is because at the time, authorities needed to get permission from child safety authorities before issuing media alerts for children in foster care. But there was some kind of communication breakdown between the police and the child care authorities, so the public didn't know who they were looking for until it was far too late. So they were able to change the law and allow police to release that information without speaking to the foster care authorities. Mm-hmm. And sadly, this law also wouldn't have made a difference in Tia's terrible outcome. But when it comes to foster children that are actually missing, this is a good thing to have in place. Yeah. Especially if the foster care authorities are worse than the DMV, Responding to requests. I mean, six days? When a child is missing, there should be no delay in getting the search started. The sooner the better. You know? Hmm. So, that pretty much wraps up Tia Lee Palmer's story. Or at least what we know about it. Uh, And that picture of the foster dad holding up the coffin that... I took took a look at it's just Ugh, it's like such a piece of crap. Yeah, just a wave of hate. Like yeah, because he what a scumbag. He not only killed Tia, but then he took advantage of the situation to get pity from other people. Yeah, that's you know? that's what's so 
disgusting about him is that he just completely played along and acted like he was this great dad. Yeah. Who was honoring her by yeah, and wearing the t-shirt, holding yeah, the coffin. Exactly. They made up these stupid t-shirts. I mean, obviously the well, family. Well, stupid t-shirts, well, but wait. it was stupid that they were wearing them and acted like they, they were doing it for the wrong reason. Yeah, reasons. they acted like they were honoring her. Yeah. When all four of them knew exactly what happened to her. Mm-hmm. <sighs> so, yeah. Well, if you enjoy our show, uh, be sure to follow us on Instagram at VOV Podcast and go like our Facebook page and join our support system. And we're also on Twitter at VOVpod. And you can email us at VOVpodcast at gmail.com. So hmm. with all that out of the way, <laughs> uh, you want to talk about the cats? <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't have any cat news. The only thing that's on my mind is how bad my foot is stinging. From the medicine I just put on it. Oh, do you want to talk about that? <laughs> well, I'm just, I'm working on killing a wart on my heel. Kind of a, a little TMI for listeners, but it hurts. And I'm I'm putting the Band-Aids on, and then I just got this vial of poison I'm dripping on it. And it just hurts. Hmm. So I guess I'm not in the highest of spirits today, because I'm, it's just, it's really bugging me. Aww. I'm trying to get it off before we go on vacation next month. Because, you know, everybody stares at your heel on vacation. (laughs) (laughs) So the thing about the cats that I identified this week is our cat, Zook, every time he sees the bottom of the bowl, like he'll eat right in the middle of the bowl of dry food. But as soon as he sees the bottom, even if there's still food in there, he flips out and he wants me to refill it. But I found that if I just take the bowl and shake it a little bit so it like recoats the bottom of the bowl he's like okay oh i forgot to say that if you're if you don't want to hear us talk about cats you can leave at any time i don't have too much to say except we're selling our car tomorrow i'm excited about that i painted our living room with my mom this week which was very exciting yeah you might have heard them banging on the walls in the (laughs) update we did on lauren kavanaugh we were hanging up some stuff on the walls at that point but (laughs) So for the two listeners that are still here, thanks for listening. (laughs) We really appreciate uh, all of our listeners, and we love you guys, and we really love our patrons. You (laughs) You guys are awesome. We can't believe that people appreciate our show that much, and it really means a lot to us. Yeah, it does. It really does. We're very, very excited. We were super psyched when we saw that Amber and Skylar had signed up. And we somehow didn't get a notification when Skylar when Skylar signed up. Yeah. So I felt kind of bad. We weren't trying to ignore her. We were just, we didn't see the... Well, for some reason, Patreon didn't send the email yeah. to the right folder or something. I don't know what it was. Because it, was it wasn't in our inbox, but when I searched for it, it came up. So, so sorry, Skylar. We just didn't see the email. Yeah. We would have. We usually respond like immediately because we're like, what? (laughs) New Patrick? (laughs) Yeah. Anyway. (laughs) Just like that. (laughs) Okay. Sorry about the last five minutes. Um, Thank you so much for listening, and we'll talk to you next week. (laughs) All right. Bye.
Hi, I'm Barney Black. And I'm Tara Saraban. And we do Bloody Murder. We're a weekly true crime podcast that focuses on some of the lesser-known crime stories from Australia. And indeed around the globe. We're a comedy podcast with a dark sense of humour. But we're dead serious about murder and the people it affects. We find humour in some unexpected places. But never at the expense of the victims or their families. We've been described as the blue cheese of podcasting. Addictive, strong and satisfying. And a bit stinky. I am not. You know you are. Bloody Murder is available on your favourite podcatcher.